Hey, everyone. Welcome back. I'm glad to have you here for another episode of the podcast. Uh, before we get into this great episode with Michael Kral, uh, he's the program director at WBHM, which is a public radio station here in Birmingham. Uh, we just had a great conversation about um, music and some of the questions I've been asking in the previous episodes, but... Um, they're coming from someone who is often in the audience and who cares very deeply. So it's a really cool perspective. I hope you enjoy this episode. Before we get into that, though, I just want to take a second to thank our sponsor for the podcast, Houghton Horns. For those of you that aren't familiar, Houghton Horns is a family-owned business in Keller, Texas, and their mission is to spread the joy of music through providing the highest levels of products, services, and resources to the brass playing community. Have you ever set your trumpet on the ground, then picked up your phone, and then you accidentally dropped your phone on your trumpet and dented it? Because I have. <laughs> when that happens, Houghton Horns is here for you. At Houghton Horns, they do the repair work in-house, so you know you're getting one of their skilled craftsmen doing the work to bring your instrument back to 100%. They also do customization, so if you were looking to customize your instrument for your specific needs, look no further than Houghton Horns. At Houghton Horns, they strive to put service to the customer as their top priority. Whether you are a beginner student, a hobbyist, or a full-time professional, Houghton Horns can help you find what you're looking for. Go to HoughtonHorns.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of That's Not Spit, It's Condensation. I'm Ryan Beach, and today I am excited uh, to be here with Michael Kral, like Shell. like Shell. We got, got it. it. Uh, he is the program director at WBHM, which is the public radio station here in Birmingham. And um, this is just exciting for me because he is a symphony supporter. Uh, he does what I'm doing, but professionally. So it's really cool to be able to uh, talk to him about not only just interviewing uh, all sorts of people, including musicians, but also just presenting classical music on the radio. And I I'm really sort of seeing this as a continuation of some of what I've been talking about in the past few episodes about why does symphonic music matter? Why does classical music matter? And kind of taking it from uh, a regular supporter, like what is, what, what do, what do our audience, what does our audience value about what we do? And so uh, he's kind enough to join me uh, this afternoon. And so first of all, Michael, I appreciate you uh, joining me and giving me some of your time to chat. You bet. You bet. Great. Glad to be here. Yeah, so uh, we'll start as always. Uh, this is, uh, although I do know you, I don't know much about you. So I think uh, for me and my audience, it'd be great just to get to know a little bit of your backstory. Sure. How you got started with what you do, you know, where does your music or interest in music come from, things like that. Yeah, well, interestingly enough, I played trumpet in uh, up through college. So okay. started out even in elementary school, junior high, high school, college, and uh you know, band, orchestra, wind ensemble, all those things. Yeah, cool. So, cool. Um, kind of went to school um, with both music, but also wanted to focus on journalism as well. And those two things were kind of going parallel for a while. Um, and then, um, I don't know, ultimately, I think journalism just called me a little bit more, mm -hmm. uh, broadcasting, that kind of thing. Um, 
you know, and and in considering, you know, the life of a of a professional musician, it's it it can be fairly isolated. It's a lot of practice time For by sure. yourself, and I don't know if I was really cut out to do that. I mean, I've had some great times performing in ensembles. You know, when I, I went to school at the University of Maine, and uh, I was in the wind ensemble, and you know, you're in that group with people who are music majors, and it's just freaking cool. <laughs> I mean, you play all the standard wind ensemble stuff that that you just you just dream about and it and it's and it was great. So um but I did college radio. I started doing college radio my freshman year. Um how did you get into that? You know, I just well see I wanted to do television. You know, growing up you watch a lot of TV. Oh, I want to do that too. Yeah, right? sure, sure. Well the school didn't have a TV station. <laughs> so they had a radio station. Next Probably bad side. planning on my part. <laughs> um so uh and then I saw this, they had this opening to play classical music on a college radio station. You know, college radio is like alternative music back before alternative AAA got mm -hmm. kind of mainstream. Uh, you know, there was only one problem. It was Saturday morning at 6 a.m. <laughs> so I was like, okay, you know what? Yeah. And uh, that's where I kind of cut my teeth and uh, did that. And I, in fact, I held that shift for four years. Not Not at that time. It moved around a little bit, but I was on... I did radio for, for, for four years at the college radio station. Also did some other stuff at that time. I kind of branched out, did some more public radio stuff and really felt a, a pull to that. So basically after college, I had some, a lot of college radio, some public radio experience under my belt and then got a job in public radio, my first like real world job and have uh, been in public radio ever since. That's so cool to me. Um, I, I think one of the questions I would have, sort of having seen my life, I, I have developed more diverse interests, I suppose would be a great way to say that. You know, some of the interests are, I had this interest and I pursued it. And some of them are like, I sort of did this thing and didn't realize how much I would enjoy doing it. So I'm kind of curious for you. I know you said that you were interested in the TV mm -hmm. uh, sort of angle, I guess. And then you ended up doing the radio. Is that so did you pursue this kind of opportunity or did this opportunity, was it available? You did it not knowing how you would feel and ended up liking it a lot so much that you would pursue it? Like what order do you think those came in? Hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I was drawn to the to the broadcast side and I, and I did, I think one of the turning points for me was I did an internship at the local NBC affiliate in Bangor, Maine. And, um, you know, I was just like super excited to be there, internship. You know, it's it's, it's pretty cool to kind of get to interact with these people you see on TV. Now, TV in Maine is a lot different than TV in New York, which is where I'm from originally, of course. Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I, um, I did an internship on the news side, then I did an internship on the production side, and then it just kind of came a sure. little bit too least common denominator for me. Yeah. You know, go cover this really controversial city council meeting and give me about 30 seconds okay. when you get back. Like, you know, and I, I would sort of observe that. And so around that time, I had found, you know, classical music on public radio, on main public radio. And I was just like, oh, and then they also do this news thing. Like, what's this? This is kind of cool. It's really, you know, thought provoking, much more in depth and long form and listen to how they're using sound and all that stuff. Yeah. So that, that kind of really uh, steered me in that direction. That's great. That's so cool. Um, so since we're here talking about, uh, you know, the public radio aspect of things. You just want to take us into what uh, life as a program director, <laughs> at, what does that look like? You know, what are your responsibilities? Oh my gosh. And how do you spend your days? <laughs> yeah. Um, 
You know, it's changed a lot. Um, it used to be just the uh, terrestrial broadcast, and now public radio is podcasting. It's smart speaker. It's events. It's social media. It's a newsletter. It's a lot of. There's all these different ways we interact with people now, and and radios, you know, for a large part, trying to trying to still figure all this out. Mm -hmm. uh, because essentially you you, you kind of have to be everywhere in a way where or, or really meet your listeners where they are sure. and uh you know that's not the easiest thing in the world to do i mean it's easy to conceptualize perhaps oh well we should be doing this 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 and this, this is great what are we not going to do <laughs> to do this 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 and this i mean it's right. a, it's a lot um but to get i think really more at the crux of what you're asking um you know, I, I, I like to say I'm, I'm responsible for the care and feeding of the on-air sound of WBHM, the local NPR station here. So I oversee the on-air schedule. I program it. Um, and I also oversee the on-air staff. So I give, I give feedback to um, our hosts, our announcers. So, um, you know, our both being here in Birmingham, um, you know, you probably don't obviously listen to the radio the same way I do, but there's a certain structure to the way we sound on the air. Mm -hmm. And that's what, that's what I'm, yeah, cool. am among other things, you know, if listeners call and have a, have a com complaint or, you know, I, I, I take that on You're too, you know, when too. <laughs> the program changes, yeah, programming is very personal to people sure. and people get, you know, upset if 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 you take off a, a program that they that they don't like. Yeah. So. Do you do you have a team that works with you, or, or and you're sort of the head of this team, or is it literally just <laughs> your sole sort of responsibility? Well, on the programming side, I'm a team of one, but yeah. <laughs> we yeah. do have. Um, I mean, there's a management team at WBHM, and I and I and I work really well in partnership in partnership with them. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, what you were talking about with the the changing climate, you know, I feel like orchestras are dealing with this kind of thing too. You know, we how do we how do we take what we do and get it into as many people's hands where they're at, but also don't necessarily change what it is that we do, right? Yeah. We, how do we not morph so much that we're no longer providing the thing that we do? You know, and this is what we're going to get into, I think, in a little bit. But that's one of the biggest challenges is you can't also apologize. For what it is that you do, and that sometimes can be hard to um, translate, you know, in all these different mediums that aren't necessarily meant f because yours, like yours and ours, developed without the use of social media. So it's I think hard it's to yeah, I think it's doing what we do better and doing what we do maybe differently. Sure, and different isn't bad; it's just different, and that's okay. Yeah, you know, that's okay. And so, okay, this is an interesting question for me, just because I I'm always curious how these changes come about cuz often you have some forward thinking people and they're like we need to get we need to make sure we're with everything and sometimes these changes come about because it's like oh no we like have to make this change right now because we're like falling behind you know what i'm saying like sometimes it can be like a like we're almost like we have to make these choices now or things are going to go south so like when you're in the middle of trying to do it, I think one of the most difficult parts, and this is kind of hopefully going to speak to what you do, is like, how do you choose the quote right thing mm. to do and then have the, like, sometimes it's not going to work out, right? Sometimes you're going to choose wrong. Like, how do you sort of deal with, like, I've tried something and it didn't necessarily work mm. and I got to learn from that? Yeah. I mean, you're talking about like programming on the station. Yeah. 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 And just like, how, yeah. and then how you sort of share that mm -hmm. in the multiple different ways. Sure. And like, maybe it's the wrong program or you put it in the wrong place. Yeah. Like, how do you sort of bounce back and learn from that? Yeah. Um, well, 
you know, we're not um, commercial radio, so so we have, um, you know, we're a nonprofit entity, um, so we're we're a little less driven by uh, the dollar, as, okay. as, as, as it were. But that said, you know, we put programming on the air to attract an audience, sure, right? And if we don't see, sorry, That's and good. if we don't see, um, and if we, um, uh, you know, over time. We kind of look at the schedule, and if we don't see a audience using that programming, then we've got to, you know, ask ourselves, well, you know, why is it why is yeah. it on the air? What we use for that is, um, you know, we do use some audience research uh, for sure, and you know, the data over time uh, uh, does, you know, tell us how a programming is being used. Uh, research is just research. Research doesn't tell you how. Or what doesn't tell you what to do. It just says, here's what's happening. Sure, sure. And you have to figure and out. And we have to yeah. figure out. It's a piece of the puzzle. You know, part of it is my experience, my background, my intuition. Uh, public radio has a set of core values. And what I mean by that is it has a certain sound, uh, but it's actually been defined very carefully with certain words and sentences and phrases it's not just well it's this thing it's you know you know it when you hear it kind yeah, of right. thing that's that may be true you do you know maybe you do know it when you hear it but you have to be able to kind of define it and and put a stamp on it sure. to say okay this is a program that meets core values that at least our we think um you know, our audience would be interested in and it's why a program like all things considered and car talk Right can both be successful because they're hitting on core values. Two wildly divergent programs. Yeah. You, you could not ask for two more uh, for different programs. So, yeah. so you know that happens, and then it's really a matter of just you know, um, you know, I, I like to view it as like I'm in the customer service business, right? I mean, mm -hmm. I gotta let I gotta let the team at WBHM know if there's a program change coming down, and it affects like many, many spheres of the station, right? It, it's uh, traffic, underwriting, development, uh, our, you know, our general manager, our executive director. So it affects a lot of people. So I have to take the lead. I, my job is to take the lead on that and, you know, develop a checklist and here's all the things we have to do operationally. I mean, engineering-wise, there's just a lot that goes on in a program team. Some changes um, are not in my control and that's okay if a program decides to end. You know, yeah, for example, right. I mean yeah. that that happens. That just happened, um, uh, and, and so you know we have to make changes. That doesn't mean you don't just because a program's ending doesn't mean you don't have to do still do your due diligence. Um, but um, you know, over time, again, we're able to see if how, how people are, are are using the station. And um, my favorite phrase is that every program is important to somebody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. And over the years, you know, WBHM, uh, we did used to play classical music during the midday hours. And now it's a news and information format with classical music starting at eight o'clock. Did I hear from people when I made that change? You better believe I did. Mm. Yeah. You better believe I did. Um, Interesting. But it's not about me. Right? It's not about what I like. You know, I have to make decisions that I feel are in the best long term interest of the station. Yeah, it's such an interesting dis dis difference of uh, a perspective difference, right? Sometimes I think as classical musicians, we can get really wrapped up in like what we like and what we think we should be presenting without sometimes remembering that we're doing this for people and and what like what do they want? And I I think we all acknowledge that the audience matters, but I think sometimes we think well like we're so close to this like 
we should just, you know, I'm saying not that we should be picking it, but like what our opinion yeah. is like really informed and we know what we're talking about. So it can be hard to swallow that pill sometime and say like, even if they say something I don't agree with, like the customer's always right, so to speak. Oh man. I mean, you don't know the half of it. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've, um, I walked into my office the morning of a, uh, of a program change several years ago. My phone was already ringing picked it up. What have you screwed up now? Oh, no. I mean, there's not even a hello. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's how, you know, and wow. um, um, I told them what we did and they were just like, bye. And, and hung up the phone. Now, you've got to, you know, take into consideration like the people who are most upset about a change are going to call. Those mm -hmm. are the people who are going to contact you. The people who like it don't say a word. You know, we don't hear from them as much. Yeah, yeah. And then we especially don't hear from people say, you know, I'm just really neutral about it. You know, yeah. <laughs> like, hey, it sounds pretty good. Yeah, I mean, right. I'm, I'm, I'm good. You know, like we, we, we just don't, you know, you don't hear from those people. So, but what you have to understand um, you be, and be, or really be aware of is, you know, you can get 100, 200 calls, but you have to take into consideration the entire audience you know, if we have an audience of 80,000 people on a given week, for example, 100 people, yeah, you know, that's not, small fraction. A, that's a slice of a slice of a slice. Right, and right. what we like to say is, you know, the plural of anecdote is not necessarily data, right? Mm, that's a cool thing. So, um, but in the moment, like when you're feeling that pressure, it right, sure feels like it. It sure feels like it. Yeah, right. I, I kind of spoke in one of my podcast episodes a little while back, kind of to this thing where like sometimes you, you put stuff out into the ether and you hear nothing back. And then every once in a while you hear something back and it's like the host talks too much. And you're like, oh my gosh, does anybody even care about the the good I'm trying to do? But then you sort yeah. of over time hear through the grapevine that like there's a lot of people who connect with it. They just don't say anything. And that's like a hard thing to right. rely on and expect and account. You know, I'm, I obviously you totally get it because you're speaking to the same thing. That's harder than I thought to to deal with than when I first started doing this kind of thing. And you know, um, you know, I I I've heard this over the years a lot uh, about people. I oh, I just can't imagine that anyone would. Not everyone listens to the radio the way you do. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I mean, they really don't. I, and so I, I, you know, I get it. I get the disruption. Where you know, in, in the public radio model, right? People are voluntarily giving us money, right? And mm. so you know, they're they are they're rightly up, upset yeah. about it. Upset about it. But you know, you have to kind of stay the course. Um, you know, you'll find no research that that tells you to you know change to to change something. I've done changes that yeah I, uh, I i i i regret i mean i wouldn't say deep regret i'm like uh should have done shouldn't yeah. shouldn't quite have done it this way should have done something else but you know that that comes with that just comes with uh with with experience sure i mean it's it's like you're almost bound to have some story like that in anybody who takes anything seriously for long enough right yeah. like you're going to have that happen and yeah sometimes you can think i used to maybe thought i could just try to think my way through everything and I'm going to think of every single possible outcome and I'm going to make the right choice. But it just seems like at a certain point you have to make a choice and just go with it. Yeah. I mean, you know, when we line up programming changes, I mean, we have our, you know, I, we have talking points and I don't mean that in like a hypey PR way. I just mean like, here's why we did it. Mm -hmm. Like, here's why. And I don't, for people who contact me, uh, you know, it's mostly email now. Like, I don't want anyone to think, 
we haven't had a conversation about it and it hasn't been respectful. You may disagree with it, yeah. but they can't say they haven't had a respectful conversation about, it. you know, killing them with kindness, right? Sure. And then I've gotten, you know, again, it is anecdotal, but these are the stories that like really warm your heart where someone in membership will send me an email and say, I don't know what you said to this guy, but like he just, he just renewed his, <laughs> his membership, yeah, yeah. You, you know, kind of, kind of thing. Or I've said just, hey, um, you know what? The new program has been on for all of, you know, six hours. Why don't you try it first for a little while? Yeah, and then, yeah, and, yeah. then and, and see how you like it. So yeah, that's yeah. I mean, I know that's not really related to anything we had right. discussed talking about, but I find that stuff to be so interesting because yeah. at a certain point you have to like be willing to try something and and then just sort of like see what happens versus like the the initial reaction of something and making that making your decision on whether it's successful or not almost in an instant. Yeah, there's a little bit of that. So it, it it's kind of a double-edged sword, right? You you can try something in terms of programming, like like say something new and maybe different that doesn't have a track record, and uh, you know as long as you're making that, everyone in your organization knows you. This is the choice we're making. We're make we're making this choice at this time. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Um, you know, my uh, part of my job is to deliver audience too. So, you know, um, there's a lot of programs out there. There's hundreds and hundreds of programs available on public radio that yeah. I could put on the station, but we've only got 168 hours in the week. So, you know, um, uh, part of me likes to say, well, okay, when, when thinking about like changes, it's like, okay, well, what's the track record here? How is it doing on other stations? And let me yeah. listen to it a little while and see how, how, how has the program evolved? You know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of thought that goes, that goes into that, but that's not to say we can't try to be new and innovative with something. Uh, you just have to know, you know, where you stand on. If it doesn't have a track record, you know, that's okay. As long as we know that and it may not, you know, kind of may not be what we thought it was, or it may be what we thought it was, but that's that's part of the sandbox, if you will, in public yeah. radio that you get to play around with a little bit more than you might otherwise on the commercial side. And I, th I think I'm just sort of, in my mind, I haven't really said it out loud in this conversation, but in my mind, I'm framing this from an orchestra programming perspective. There's like the tried and true pieces that we know people will enjoy hearing, but we can't just only play those pieces every single year. And then so well, how do you, you know, how do you take a chance on something that you yeah. don't know? How do you take a chance on a new composer, even if it's yeah. supposed to be awesome? If your community doesn't know what it is, are they going to come? Or are they going to pay the bills? Like there's, you know, yeah. like I know that the ticket sales aren't necessarily a huge portion or a huge chunk or whatever, mm -hmm. but the vitality of an organization, I think, mm -hmm. is why certain people may choose to donate if it's going well. So I think there's so much wrapped up into just like, I'm going to choose this one thing and and yeah. say, this is what we're going to do. I mean, it's hard to say. It's kind of unbelievable to say this right now. This American life is was new at one time and it was groundbreaking like there was nothing like people were like what like i don't get it what is this program you know what is this about and you know and it just you know that alone kind of helped it you know catch catch you know, get its sea legs if you will sure, um, sure. so you know it happens but to your point about classical music yeah i've got i can we can get into that yeah I've, i think I've, we I've should got some thoughts on that yeah i think we should sure. so um then this next part of the interview, um, I don't think Michael was expecting, so we're gonna. I'm gonna surprise him a little bit here. I just kind of wanted to um, ask you these questions that Kathleen and I, and just kind of see. Again, it's not like trying to find the, you know, the answer that solves all these problems, but um, I imagine if you're, you know, coming to Symphonic 
classical music type stuff, you're supporting the arts, like you have some sort of invested interest or vested interest rather. So we'll just start with, uh, why do you think, as especially as a concert goer, why do you think experiencing music matters? And we could even lump the live music. Like, what is it about a live mm. concert that makes you want to sort of be there and experience it versus just pulling up a CD or hearing, even hearing it on the radio? Like, what are the differences for you? You know, I think I have a little bit of a different take than most sure. people on this. Um, you know, just from a, from, a, from a lifestyle point of view, I mean, let's face it, right? Getting to a concert takes a lot of, it's, it's a fair amount of work, mm -hmm. right? You get home, you run home, dinner, babysitter, maybe you go out to dinner. And, you know, you're asking a lot of someone and then, you know, they sit and they, they, and they, and they kind of enjoy it. And, you know, that's fine. There's, there's, there's no, I mean, of course it's great. It's fine. It's great. I mean, I mean, live music is, 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 is great. Um, but I think what we're up against is, you know, music is so portable and music is so uh, uh, disposable is not the right word. But, um, you know, if you're playing uh, Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, I can hear that on Spotify in three clicks on my phone. Absolutely. You know, um, so I think people have a notion of what things should sound like, right? Because they hear it all the time. They're not necessarily going to concerts all the time. I mean, you know, in those, you might be hard-pressed to find someone who goes to every single yeah. concert. But if they have some musical background, if they've played an instrument through college, if they've taken lessons, but maybe they're not professional, you know, they like it, they like classical music, they know of it, they know what it does, uh, that kind of thing. Um, you know, they can, they, can, they can just hear it, you know, on the radio or on a streaming service or play a CD or, you know, so they have immediate access to it. And I think, and that's great. You know, look, I mean, who would have thought like, right, you can hear anything with yeah. a, in the touch of a button. I mean, could you yeah. imagine like if... Do you wonder if that devalues it slightly? I think that cuts both ways. Uh, so, so, you know, you can really get into... I think classical music in, in in a in a great way. Whenever you want it, it's there. If you're walking, if you're cooking, if you're out, you know, like I can, I can I can hear it basically with, if I'm if I'm doing anything. And as 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 people who like classical music and and a lot of and even I think it's even part of the mission of the ASO, bring you know bring music to people. If you think about like. People are just listening to music. Period. I think right. that's a good thing. I think that's overall a good thing. Agreed. Um, agreed. It's um, hmm. so I think you have an expectation of what it should sound like, and I'm not sure people are fully aware of when they go to a concert. Like, wow, like this could exceed my expectation. Mm, yeah. You know, um, a lot of times um, I've like, well, you know, attending a live performance I think is great. Like, I. I don't know. I'm kind of wired a little bit differently. I feel. I feel like well, something could go wrong. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it doesn't, but yeah. it may not. It yeah. could, there could be a new interpretation. I hadn't. I hadn't. Wow, they're playing this faster than I heard of. But you know, it's like when you, um, you know, I remember like back in the day when I like bought an REM CD, and uh, back when you know CDs were a thing, and, mm -hmm. I, and then I went in concert and I saw them. I'm like, oh, I love this song, but they're just doing it in a way that doesn't like that doesn't do it for me. Yeah, you know. And so I I feel like what classical music 
um, to a certain extent is up against is you're up against people have this expectation because they hear it everywhere, right? And that's yeah. uh, while a good thing, it's also a double edged sword. People hear it everywhere, so they have this expectation of what it's going to sound like. Yeah. And so, like on a live performance with an orchestra, it's like how do you how do you transcend that, sure. right? How do you make that a thing where people are like, wow? How do you get the wow? Factor totally, and I think we're also up against that. You see, symphonic music, classical music in general, it's often paired with another art form, like a visual medium, like a movie or something like that. So, like, then take that away, and we're asking people to sort of sit for a length of time, and it's just like you said, it's yeah. it's what they're used to hearing, but it's in a different context. And I, I totally agree with you. It's kind of why I'm starting to ask these questions. Yeah. Is like, you know, I think. With you can't really have the same level of human connection, right? Like if trying to almost emphasize that that's why you go to a live concert is you want to experience it with all these other people rather than, so like the music itself is an important aspect of the experience, but it's also like the whole with everybody else feeling like you heard this thing together. Mm. And then if you want to add in like the possibility of things going wrong or whatever, it, it almost creates this like, once in a lifetime kind of vibe, or you could you could probably sell that story at least, right? And then maybe yeah. it's like more than just the piece. And I think there's for me, I, I don't really have any answers, but there's something in there that feels like it, it it would help create some of that wow. I think. Yeah, it's um, hmm, I, it, it's experiencing. It, it, yeah, it's all of that. It's like this whole amalgamation, right? It's experiencing it with people. It's ex it's, it's seeing an orchestra perform it. It's 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 having it's like kind of living on the edge and seeing how how things are interpreted and how things go down. Uh, it's being you know next to your partner or someone you love or care about and experiencing these things together. Um, you know, sometimes it is like getting just the vibe of a live of, of 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 a live audience. I mean. Um, but I have to tell you, as someone who goes to a fair amount of concerts, um, I also feel like those don't, all those things, all those tuning forks aren't humming every time. Of course. You know, it doesn't happen all the time. Like, I can think of a handful of concerts where I'm like, wow, like that was just spectacular. Now, that's not to say I didn't have a good time at other things that weren't spectacular. I mean, I did. I, yeah, I, I yeah. love that there's, there's an intrinsic value of just, going to live music and seeing an orchestra and hearing a piece you know or love or even one you don't. Um, but like the wow factor where they'll just the lid comes off. Right, is right. like, I, I, I can probably count those on, you know, one hand. And probably rightfully so, right? If every single experience sure. was that, none of them no. would be that. So I think that that's very true. And I mean, for the orchestra, it's the same way. Sometimes you're really in it and sometimes mm -hmm. you're just doing your best to yeah, try yeah. to get back into it. And um, I think that's just because we're like human beings and it's not always a, we're not robots. It's not the same exact sort of attempt each time. But yeah, that's like a very long answer to your No, question. no, I think this is great. Like to me, I think there is no quote right answer, which is why I think the discussion is more important mm -hmm. than the actual answer. And so maybe even just like this one more question sure. is for you and what you see as someone who supports an orchestra by at minimum coming to concerts, what do you see the role of an orchestra being? And like, let's say that the most obvious is to present symphonic music, right? Do you see our orchestra being able to, at least in your perception, your perspective of how you see it, does it fulfill other roles that you think are important that you're glad that it, 
it's here and worth supporting beyond just that. I mean, I think it says something about a city, about the commitment mm -hmm. that they have to the arts, that um, that they do have an orchestra. I think it says a lot that the you know the history of the Alabama Symphony Orchestra is such that it went away for five years and yeah. then it came back, and people really want to make wanted to make that happen and. You think you'd like to hope that you know good lessons were 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 learned from that, and uh, you know it's 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 here to stay. Um, you know, I love. I'm a big fan of um, what I call these like fewest most powerful words, like these statements, and I love just this notion of bringing music to people. Mm. You know, even if you don't, um, you know, even if you don't have a musical background, I mean, if you think about it, music in whatever shape and form, it's like the universal connector, Agreed, right? Yeah. I mean, everyone in some sense or form um, um, has some kind of relationship with 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 music. Um, so I, I I do feel like there's uh, there's there's things that. Uh, that an orchestra can do to kind of connect them to the community. And I think each orchestra has a little bit of a, you know, they have, I think they should really kind of play up their um, their home court advantage, if you will. Um, I spend a lot of time, a fair amount of time in Western North Carolina in Asheville um, hiking. I've heard that's a beautiful and, area. Uh, it's one of my cool favorite places. Yeah. yeah. You know, they have a symphony orchestra mm -hmm. and um, I've never seen them play. But I remember looking at one of their programs and it was from the mountains to the sea. And that's the name of a hiking trail in North Carolina oh, from cool. the mountains to the sea. So like it connecting. literally traverses the entire state. So they played, I believe it was, um, what was it? Vaughn Williams, a sea symphony mm -hmm. uh, and maybe Havana's mysterious mountain. I mean, that's kind of a cool like connection to your, to your community, totally. to your read, to your region. Um, you know, so thing, things like that. Um, um, I, I, I can understand, uh, you know, uh, you were talking about in a, in a previous podcast about, you know, things going on with the San Antonio symphony. And I can see how they, they have a lot of Latin American or Mexican American or Mexican like composers added into their roster. It's just like the nature of where they are and yeah. what they do. Yeah. Um, you know, so, so, so like little kind of connections like that, I think can, can, can really go a long way. We, you know, I mean, I know the Alabama symphony orchestra here has done a lot of new music and has commissioned a lot of works and, 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 you know, that's, that's great too. You know, find your thing, yeah, and kind of like play it up a little bit, right? I don't know how this would happen, but I always thought it would be pretty cool if we could play with like a country artist every now and then, you know? Because like that's where we are. We're in mm. a, a city that loves country music and has shows all it, you know. So I, I always wonder what grass, that would yeah. be like, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, they played. Uh, um, I'm not sure if you you may not have been here, but they, uh, you know, Chris Thiele, the mandolinist, he wrote a yeah. he wrote a concerto. He wrote a mandolin concerto, okay. and and then that he he brought that here with the. That, the I, I wasn't here at that yeah. point, yeah, yeah. But yeah. I saw him a few years yeah. ago. It was, it was just a solo thing yeah. at Dallas Stevens Center. It was unbelievable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, stuff like that it happens, but it does make you wonder, like, why aren't these connections happening more? Sure, uh, totally. And, I think that's a fair question. You know, things like masterworks, um, and we can get into this later. I mean, I feel like that's the, the you know that's for for some people like that's a heavy lift. That's a heavy lift. Yeah. For, for us, everyone. it's a heavy lift, you yeah. know? Yeah. <laughs> like for the people playing it. And sure. I think like, you know, that is rightfully so. What are, It's an argument for like, this is this sort of the epitome mm -hmm. uh, in terms of art, of the art form itself. But that's not the only 
role an orchestra can play when you know there's right. pops and there's like obviously talking about sure. doing things with Chris Teeley or if it was a country artist, you know, Metallica played with the San Francisco Symphony. Like there are other ways an orchestra has molded. This is what we were talking about earlier, right? Finding a way for you to be able to uh, be in different, um, I guess, contexts, yeah. but still retaining what it is that you do. Yeah. And, you know, I think with the organizational understanding, like, it's okay. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, it really is. Like, it's okay to have these, whatever you five branches of things the symphony do. Pops, masterwork, holiday yeah. stuff, you know, all, mm -hmm. and that's fine. And you just know that, like, these things may not cross-pollinate. That's fine, too. Like, yeah. you know, you don't have to be all these things to all these people and think simultaneously. Everyone's got to be, you know, got to be all into yeah. it. It's a tough lesson, though. I feel like I'm learning that in some of the stuff I'm doing with the gold method and even with this podcast is, like, trying to figure out, like, all right, maybe it's not for everybody, Maybe I actually just need to not apologize for what I do and find my people that will support the thing that I do. Mm. Like you're saying, there's a program for everybody, or there's what was the thing you said? Every program is important to that's, somebody. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So like the idea right. that you know it's about sort of finding people who will connect with right. what you do rather than trying to get what you sure. do to connect with everybody. Yeah. So it's like find your find those four or five things, right? That you're really really good at, or where you want to put your stamp, right? Because nowadays. Um, you know, content, classical music is available anywhere. Yeah. Everywhere. So find those things and then understand that people, you know, may, people may get some of the other things that they want and that's okay. They may right. get them somewhere else. Exactly. Yeah. But, you know, you're, you've got your, your lane or your lanes and do those. I totally agree. And crush it. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I have sort of a, one more question in this regard because I find it, I'll be curious to hear your answer, but do you think that you having a background in music, uh, having performed yourself, adds into your understanding? It's like you can almost in some sense like implant yourself into like the feeling of you remember what it was like to perform. So that's mm -hmm. part of the experience too. And if that's a yes, then what do people who don't have that? What if what do people who, you know, because you're saying music is a universal language and music is everywhere, but for people who don't, like I'm sure the nature of what we do is a bit of a barrier when you don't know what these instruments are and you don't know what you're listening for. I'm curious if you agree with that kind of idea that you sort of maybe need a little bit of knowledge about what's going on or if you think classical music even is like, it doesn't matter, people can get something out of it. I think it's a barrier if we let it be a barrier. Okay. Um, I think, every yes, everyone has a different background and approaches music from a, from a, different, from a different angle. Um, I feel like it's the job of a symphony to kind of like be aware of that. Um, and just because you go to a masterwork concert, masterworks concert, you know, doesn't mean you still may need a little bit of a, some info, you know, right, right. Uh, or a little bit of help, if you will. I mean, I, I don't even like using that word, uh, just, just information, right? Sure. Um, I always For thought me, it would be interesting. Sorry. I always thought it'd be interesting if we had a concert at the very beginning of the, of the season, the very beginning. And it was marketed towards people who had never been to a concert before. Yeah, and it was like, come be in a room full of people who have never been to a concert. We can kind of explain like what's going on and what's oh, happening. Man. Save that thought for later because because <laughs> I've, I've got some I've got some thoughts sure. on that. But to, but to get back to your question, um, um, yeah, I mean, um, so yeah, so so like playing trumpet. Yeah, I mean, I know some of the orchestral stuff, like when things happen. Um, 
you know, my family was very musical growing up, had a lot of people who went to Interlochen. Um, I've got a cousin who's a singer-songwriter. I've got an aunt who does children's choruses and intergenerational choruses and stuff like that. Um, I've got a, uh, a, a cousin who was a, a professional jazz musician, that, a, a trombonist. So, I mean, I've been around it, but it hasn't been like, um, I don't know. I, so I've, pro I've probably been around it more than more sure. than most. I have a background probably more than most. Um, hmm. I guess, um, I don't know if I feel like, I mean, I, I don't know if I, would I listen to it different? I mean, I, I think I know what to expect. I know when things are coming. So I know where to like look in the orchestra mm -hmm. to see things happening. Um, and I'm so, sure that so, adds to the experience. Sure. Bit, and yeah. there's a familiarity. Yeah. 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 Like when I was, yeah, I mean, I've, I've, when I've taken, uh, my kids or my girlfriend to, to the symphony and there's a piece coming up and, um, uh, there's, there's a section coming up that I know and I'll be like, I'll be pointing, like, check that out. Like, yeah. check out what they're doing there. Cool. Cause that, cause <laughs> that's, that's, that's kind of cool. But I think, I feel like orchestras in general can do, could do a lot more, could do a lot more to help people just really um, latch on to something more than I'm walking into the concert hall, I'm sitting down, we're going to perform it. Yeah. Feel free to expand oh. on that. I'd be very curious. Well, you know, um, so there's the, um, you know, there's the typical pre-concert lecture, right? I mean, you know, it's just got such a bad... Uh, it's because it almost has this, through no fault of its own, has this like boring connotation, sure, right? Sure. Like Yawnsville, <laughs> yeah. right? Why isn't someone like when everyone's sitting there, the conductor comes out? Why aren't they? Why aren't they doing this stuff? Some of this stuff with examples from the orchestra. Just take ten minutes at the top. Say, you know what? On this piece, there's these really cool things going on, mm. and. I just want to play these things. So here's here's what to listen for, and here's how these things are are are, are put together. You know, mm -hmm. as opposed to like this um, uh, professorial pre-concert lecture. Well, when Dvorak was blah blah blah, and he did all this, <laughs> and then he studied with Brahms, was a big fan of his, and you know, you get into this thing, and it's just um, I, I I don't feel that's that's doing. Um, that's kind of doing the music justice. Yeah. Um, I've I've given some pre-concert things before, and I've really tried to make it uh, uh, just a little bit different. Uh, most the most recent thing I did was I interviewed uh, pianist Joyce Yang. Oh yeah, cool. And I did a pre-concert. It was just an interview thing, and and, and that was fine. And uh, I remember I don't remember quite how this came up, but I remember reading about something once, and I, I explained this to the audience. Like they, there was an orchestra. Um, they had this special section. It was called the Tweet Seats, right? And I mean, this guy—you could just see where this is going. Right? This guy in the audience was like, "Man, like shaking his head, like you gotta be freaking kidding me." And I'm like, "Well, hang on. Like this was the opening night, yeah, right?" And people who are not musicians may not know this, but a lot of times in the opening of a of a season, you play the national anthem. Yeah, yep. and so someone was in the tweet seats. I was like, just heard the national anthem before the season begins. Hashtag kind of awesome. <laughs> now you can, you know, you can't buy that yeah, type of to publicity. Totally, you know, you you, yeah. you, you, you reply, you know, you to the symphony, and it's like, oh my god, like, like you never know what does it. What an interesting and, and like why not? And like why not? Right? Yeah. Like why not do something like that? I'm not, and. and you know, you can call it whatever. 
Yeah, people can put whatever kind of label they want on it, but the fact is, you know, you're you're just using these avenues to 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 bring music to people. Um, there's just I, I I just feel like there's a lot of opportunity, especially when everyone's sitting there. And they're waiting for the thing to begin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, why aren't we like shouting this stuff from the rafters? Like, here's what makes this symphony. You probably know this work. Some of you may know this work. It would almost be like a, you know, when you go to a movie oh. and they have like that pre-roll of like they've interviewed an actor or they have those little bits of trivia or whatever about what you're about to see and stuff like that. Yeah. It's almost similar to that kind of idea where you would be like like giving some sort of like Here's a thing that will be yeah. cool to know for what you're about to do. Sure, yeah. because like, what's the outcome that we want here? Well, we want people to be even more excited about the totally. music and be jo- you know, really be jonesed about the music. Yeah. And how can we give that to them? Well, one of the ways we can give it to them less is just by coming out and conducting and doing it, right? Sure, sure. But like, let's play some something to hear. Here's something to hear. Here's something to listen for that you might not have expected. Um, Okay, this is mildly embarrassing. So I've been on this huge <laughs> Dvorak kick lately, specifically the ninth, which I know everyone's like, yeah, the ninth. But but there is just, and I, you know, I approach this from not only from someone who's who's, who's played instrument, but you know, I, I've I've seen it performed, and I watch a couple of videos about it and and learned what people are doing. Uh, you know, learn how how. Um, Conductor, one of the conductors, or Gerard Schwartz, how talks about it. He's 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 close. He's 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 kind of getting there. Mm-hmm. But like I, th- we, we we should do this. Like I had like there's this. I want to explain this symphony to people in like the most non musical way yeah. possible because there is so much incredible things going on that I don't think people even realize until you hear it like multiple times what is going on in this symphony and how he just basically like blew the lid off of it um you know if you hear a progression of his symphonies you know you know you, you start oh hey like there's something here on the 6th and the 7th and the 8th well that's that's pretty cool the ninth what are you kidding me this thing is unbelievable <laughs> there's like no there's not a wasted note and there's like so many things going on you don't have to know anything about the history of Dvorak you just have to listen and yeah. i feel like we need to be explaining these things with 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 passion yeah i completely agree that's such an interesting we should talk after this okay. is over. I have yes, kind of an interesting idea. Um, you know, it's interesting just to, just to say one more thing on this. Sorry. <laughs> no, please, Sorry. this is great. Be- I love because this. because um, I um, one of the podcasts I listen to is with um, is uh, Alan Alda. Alan Alda has a podcast, oh, yeah. and uh, he has this uh, Center for Science and the Public Interest thing. I think it's at Stony Brook. Okay. And so one of the, his guests was Tina Fey, and he was speaking to her at a, at, a, at a scientific conference. So one of his missions is to get scientists to kind of just just like communicate effectively, right? Right, like tall order, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> right. Yeah. So listen to this. This was so cool. He gave Tina Fey a buzzer. And he invited a scientist up on stage. And he was like, to Tina, he's like, what do you want to know? And she's like, tell me about dark, dark matter. And so the scientist, and, and so he's like, okay, Tina, when it's something you don't understand, hit the buzzer. And she was like, you, you're so screwed. <laughs> you to the scientist, right? So this guy starts explaining dark matter. He's like, well, if you take Newton's third law, like, yeah, right. like who knows what that is? And so she kept on buzzing him and he kept on having to like loop back and explain it. And in the end, 
like you actually knew uh, yeah. what it was about. Like, why can't we do that? Something similar with, um, you know, with with, with 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 classical music. I've interviewed a lot of musicians, and there's a lot of you know, you know, a fair amount of people get it. Right? They get it. Like they understand why they're here, <laughs> why they're on the radio. They understand why I'm talking to you. They understand. They... Some of them don't. Mm -hmm. You know, some of them don't. Like I don't need a history lesson. Um, you know, um, I need sort of like that passion that behind the music. Here's here's what to listen for. Here's why it sounds so cool. Pay attention to this. That kind of thing. Absolutely. So, I totally agree. I mean, I think I did a pre-concert talk once with. Peter Garrett, one of our cellists. And uh, we didn't, like, we've never done one before and we had no expectations. So um, Peter was prepared. I was pretty prepared. And then basically what ended up happening is Peter was the straight man and I was like just goofing around a little, but in like a fun way, right? And it sort of played off really well that it was like informative and it was enjoyable, but it was sort of this like also kind of like fun experience. At least that's some of the feedback yeah. we got. And uh, we just thought that was so cool that we had that opportunity to sort of, because I don't have, I don't know the history of what's going on, so I can't like just make it up. So I have to find some other way. So the things I focused on when doing research and stuff was just like, what's going on in the piece and what's the story? So, right, the things that I would actually care about when performing the piece. Yeah, I mean, having the history of the composer, I think is important for contextual understanding like certain aspects about their style, like, what was going on? Who were they? Who were their the people that they emulated, and you know who studied with them? So you can kind of get that context. But you're totally right. The average be. person is not, yeah. they want to they just want to about the piece. They want to know yeah. what's special. Right. What should right. I care about? Right. I mean, and what you said, it, it can be important. But I, I would just say, you know, it's like a little bit goes a long way. Yeah, for right. some of that. Well, and I just think it's also like if we're talking about layers, I wouldn't say yeah. it's like the base layer of what we should be sharing. Right. 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 Maybe it's just like a garnish at the top. Yeah. 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 It's the. It's the. It's like, and he did all this while living in this, there you, you know, something like right, that. Right. Like one of so in this context, one of the most interesting things that I've heard someone say that's related to history is that like Beethoven Nine and Symphony Fantastique were written in the same year, mm. but they were just one was in Germany, one was in France, and it's like those two pieces could not be further apart from each other in terms of like sound worlds and and stuff. It's so interesting to think that like. It was so different, you know, from these places, these, you know, when countries like when the world was more separated than, you know, it yeah, is now. Yeah. Like you could have these wildly different um, composers and art, art styles and things like that at the same exact time. I find that kind of interesting, but only when juxtaposed with pieces that, you know, people would know and stuff. So you have, a, have to have a base level of knowledge really before you can do that. Yeah, yeah. Because really, you know, what we ask for a lot of people, you know, you hear it all the time. Well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to go to it because I don't understand it. That's what we're getting at. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And, on the, and, then, and then you say, well, you know, you don't have to. All you have to do is listen. Well, okay. I get that too, but then what are we listening to, right? Right. That's like the missing piece. And that's uh, kind of what I was asking about yeah. your, your background. Like you kind of have some idea of what yeah. to listen to because you've just spent time yeah. absorbing it. So I think yeah. yours is, it's like a nice sort of solution, right? I, I mean, I'm for, uh, yes, I'm, I'm fortunate that in, in, in my, in my work and in my growing up, having played in this room that I have, I have some of that background, yeah. but I'm, you know, not everybody does. Right. And, 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 but I, but I think it can be framed in such a way that, um, that people, whether you have a background or not, you can kind of like, oh, 
oh yeah, that's kind of cool. Like I knew that, but I didn't, uh, wasn't paying attention to that. Like that's kind of cool. Or someone who has enough, like wow. I'll listen for that. That's neat. That yeah. sounds that that sounds neat too. Without knowing anything about the intricacies of how music totally. works, it's almost like a trailer for a movie, right? Yeah, that's yeah, kind of right. uh, likened to what we're talking about. Um, you know, one of the things I thought was really, I think, is really important too, and um, I sort of just went slightly rogue when when executing it was. My understanding that if we're the thing that people are coming from, them having access to us would be great. And so I would go into the uh, lobby of the Stevens Center and before a concert and just stand there and say hi to people. And then at the intermission, we I go into the patrons lounge, you know, that little area over the side, and we just talk to people and be like, "Hope you're enjoying the concert," you know, trying to make it so we're a visible presence versus we're over here and there's a wall between you and us. And I know not everybody feels the same. Some people got to stay in the zone, but I find that to be a, another really a missing ingredient. I think if you could have the opportunity to meet your very favorite band in the world, that would be like a, make it a memorable experience. I think that's, I think that's great. Uh, because I think you're right. There's, there's this, uh, there's this wall either, uh, unintentionally or purposefully put up that says, uh, you know, I am coming to this. I mean, you will entertain me yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of thing. Um, Henry Fogel, the longtime director of the, uh, uh, Chicago Symphony Orchestra, not music director, but the um, administrator oh, the, gotcha, uh, gotcha. Of, of the Chicago Symphony. I mean, he told this story once at a conference many years ago that I still remember to this day. And I asked him about it when I got to interview him uh, several years later. You know, uh, there was a woman in the lobby and a musician came and came through and she said, excuse me to this musician, your entrance is over there. And you can imagine um, that musicians... You think they didn't remember this the next time contract negotiations came up? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And he recommended that that woman be removed from the board in spite of her donation. Wow. So, you know, to your point, it, it really cuts both ways. And like, yeah, like we're all like, <laughs> we're all on the same team. Right? <laughs> like, why not? Well, and uh, I, um, why not have the experience of, of, of meeting someone? Totally. I mean, it doesn't have to be this long drawn out thing, but hope you're enjoying the concert. Oh my God. Are you kidding yeah. me? Like that would go, that would go well, really far. And interestingly, I met, there was a man, a gentleman named Tom that I met and he was a big fan of the brass section, right? I had no idea who he was until I went out there and talked to him. But then I knew he was at the concert. That's this weird, unexpected thing is after I met him, I went and played the concert and I was like, I know that Tom is out there. He's like sitting right over there all the time. And uh, he's out there and he's listening and he cares about the notes that I'm playing and yeah. the brass colleagues are playing. And it, it really actually quite shifted my perspective of how I felt while performing. It didn't feel like I was just into the ether. It was like, at least there's one person that like cares. Yeah. It's so interesting. And, and, and I don't want to go too far down a rabbit hole, but there was this <laughs> farewell tour by the Eagles, the, the pop group, the Eagles, right? Mm -hmm. And it was the, I think it was down under or something like that. And there was this DVD that they produced and this thing sparkled. I mean, it was phenomenal. They had like, they must've had like the top 10 people who know audio in the world, like on this. Now, why? Well, because they know, number one, like their audience is probably older and they appreciate the craft and the way these things sound. And yeah, that makes it all, all worth yeah. it. And then you see like other bands where tickets are like, whatever, 
And there's this like game at play, like, okay, am I going for, am I funding someone's retirement here? Or am I going to really experience it the way it was? Is this person like tapping into my nostalgia for this? Like, is it unwarranted? But, you know, uh, but I think, so I think what I'm trying to say is there's musicians, not just in classical pops, who, 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 who get it, who really get like what it's about. And I'm sure there are musicians who, who you know it doesn't matter the the, the genre um they're like yeah like like people are 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 paying attention and it's my job to deliver them the best performance totally. i can and yeah that knowledge made a big difference to me yeah bigger difference than i thought you know yeah it wasn't just like i'm showing up for work it's now oh like i've connected with somebody yeah. that human connection right. element right like that's sure. kind of what we were speaking about yeah. and i agree i think trying to meet people where they are in terms of knowledge and just like, because the other half of this, the other side of the coin, right? The devil's advocate side would be, we also don't want to insult your audience's intelligence, right? So if there's a whole bunch of people there who know this piece and they just want to listen to it, that's kind of the thing. It's like you take, you make this choice based on the data or yeah. who your audience is. And then you might make some people unhappy, yeah. but you also might make a lot of people more happy and grateful for the experience. Yeah, and you, and you may not know that. That may not pay dividends yeah. till down the road. Sure, it may sure. be like they become a subscriber next year, you know. You, yeah. But that, but you may not see that and right being, away. Yeah. So it's just sometimes it can be hard to to take a risk, yeah. you know. Yeah, uh, but that's okay. Like that's why that's why people do what they do, right? right? Yeah. That's why you do what you do to to, to to take risks. I think I think people. I think we maybe underestimate. Like people will be a little patient. I mean, come on, really? Like ten minutes at the top of a concert to say, you know, in this piece, here's what's going on. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think people will will kind of get it. Well, and you saw. Uh, on the the concert, the one that you came to, the musicians put on mm-hmm. uh, that video that was played at the beginning of it, mm-hmm. right? I don't know if you remember yeah. seeing that, but that was like sort of an example of us trying to something along those lines. It wasn't the same thing in terms of the music, but it was sort of like something different than just tune conductor walks out play. Yeah. There was like sort of an uh, an engaging like this is some thoughts we have, and we're thankful for our audience being here, just trying to connect a little yeah. bit. I don't. I mean. It was weird to see. I made that video, mm-hmm. right? And so it was It was weird to see it there and just be like, okay, how do I feel about that, right? I don't know if that's perfect, if it's the right solution, but like, how does that vibe play out? And is it like something that's better than just what was before, which yeah. is nothing, <laughs> you know? Right. And I think right. that's, to me, how those kinds of things start. You just try something and see how it feels and yeah. just hope that your audience is willing to go along with you on some of that stuff. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's. Look, there's plenty of room for experimentation, but uh, you know, this is a, a term you've probably heard. You know, you've, you've fail. If you're going to fail, fail fast, right? Sure. What did you learn from it, and yeah. how can you make it better the next time? Maybe it means trying something a little bit different. Maybe it means doing a complete 180 yeah, and going yeah. in a different direction. But the point is, you know, you're just you're trying to engage people in a meaningful way. And I mean. Whether you continue, but whether you figure out the right answer, you figure out a close answer, or you do a one eighty, it's sort of predicated upon that whatever you were doing is not what you want to keep doing, right? So even if you do a one eighty, you're probably not going to go back and do the exact same thing that you were doing. So it's an acknowledgement that yeah. essentially we want to try something new. And I imagine for an audience member, even if it's like different or like yeah. kind of weird, it's probably like 
this is nice. That yeah. It's not the same experience that I've ever had every single time. Sure. Well, you know, the, uh, the great thing about here being here in Birmingham, Alabama, is the hall in which you guys yeah. into symphony plays. I mean, it's, it, I mean, acoustic wise, I'm not even talking about that. But what I love about it, I mean, I feel like, you know, spoiled because we have seating in the choral balcony. And for those who don't know, that's like, you're, you're like behind the orchestra. And so you're facing the conductor. And I, I think like the front seats in the orchestra, like those are the worst seats possible because you see everyone from like hip level, <laughs> right. right? And you can't see what's going on. If when you're in the choral balcony, it is the most, to me, it's the most exciting thing. So, you know, if you have an opportunity, I would say to see an orchestra from that perspective, it's great. And when you see a symphony played and you see how you get a perspective of how melodies Right, and the music is tossed around between from section to section. I mean, that's cool. That's just freaking cool to see how yeah, uh, yeah. To how composers work one section while while having support on another section, and you know all all those things. So, like the 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 the, the choral balcony to me is is. is 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 great, and you also kind of see like for big expansive works whether it's like harps and xylophones and all these instruments that are normally not there, you just kind of get to kind of almost like literally peek over their shoulder sure, and, sure. and see. And, you know, that's a perspective you only get from from sitting in the in the in the choral balcony. I saw the CSO for the first time, Chicago Symphony, when I was in high school. Uh, we we got tickets in the choral balcony, and yeah. they played some sort of greatest hits thing. So like they played, you know, also Spock Zarathustra and stuff. Right. We were sitting right behind the trombones, and as a high school brass player, it was like, how could this be any better? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you could just like see the trombones are sitting right there. Yeah. You can feel the. Feel the sound that they're generating. I totally agree. Yeah, I yeah, totally agree. Yeah, and also, you know, there's, there's, you know, I think some value to seeing the conductor too. Yeah. You know, uh, to seeing, <laughs> to seeing them head on. I in might a, disagree. In, in the, in the, yeah. <laughs> I'm just, I'm yeah. just. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I find those are some. It's some really interesting, just stuff to chew on. You know, from like your perspective of like, you know, we were going to talk about the perspective of sure. of a concert goer. You know, and it's sort of you're sort of acknowledging that there is sort of a way that it is presented that may not be taking full advantage of what it could be. And I just, right. I appreciate these ideas um, because I think just anything of people, any, any, any way that people are thinking about this in a way where they could say, how could we make this experience better? I think is amazing, right? Yeah. That people would care about it enough to say, how can we make this even better versus like, yeah. whatever, it's fine, just let it be whatever yeah. it is, you know? I mean, I, my son with me and I'm like, you know, I, 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 can't, I can't even remember the work, but it was just like, will you, you know, I was like, look at all this plumbing on stage. We've got like the bassoon, the contrabassoon, like the clarinet, the bass clarinet, and like the contrabass clarinet. Like these are things that you just don't see. And it's like, you know, and and just kind of getting to see that is is really just kind of cool on yeah. on pieces that call for it. And when you know, when you add all this color to 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 a work, and uh, so yeah, I feel like there's a there's a lot more that um, that I think um, you know all of us could probably be doing. I get it. You know, it's time. It's it, 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 it's investment, and it's an investment whose you know dividends may not show up. Immediately, yeah, that's but, hard. You're, but you're but you're planting a lot of seeds. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to shift slightly here, sure. if that's all right. Absolutely. I would be interested for uh, 
for you as an interviewer, when you interview anybody in general, but since we're on the music topic, we could say musicians, what kinds of things are you trying to uh, get from them? And what kinds of things are you trying to highlight? You know, obviously I'm assuming it's for some sort of, potentially for some sort of thing that's going to happen soon or like a concert that might be upcoming. I assume that's, uh, is that usually why you would interview someone or is it just people come on and you just chat with them? Kind of, yeah. Is there you, a, so usually there's a, there's a, some sort of, um, yeah, there's a concert coming up. Yeah. There's some sort of peg to why why we would have people on. Um, maybe someone's retiring. Maybe someone's the featured soloist. Right. Uh, like that Joyce kind of would thing. have been, maybe right. Sure. Um, um, you know, or maybe it's just the conductor talking about talking about. It. So, so that's that's kind of the purpose they're there. But um, you know, I I, I, I guess um, you know, I I, I think. This goes back to what I said a little bit earlier, you know, like we're all on the same team. I mean, I may be a broadcaster and you may be a musician. And so just by definition, we may not have that much. Into, but, you know, we're being advocates for classical music. It's yeah. kind of like, do you, do you know why you're here? You know, and, 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 you, and so sometimes, like I said, people, people get that um, um, better than others. And that's, that's, I think, just, just human nature. But, you know, that's kind of like if I want to interview some, like, you know, Sometimes I have a choice in this. I'm like, you know, bring me the person who will express this, sure, in, in, in the most meaningful way. I don't. Sometimes I don't get that choice. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and, and so, um, um, so yeah. So, but I mean, I'm, I'm I'm just looking for you know, human stories, interesting stories. Um, you know, uh, if it's a soloist, you know, what's your relationship to this piece? How did you learn it? That kind of thing. Tell me a little bit, you know, a lot of times I've just given an open-ended question, you know, um, you're playing the Mozart piano concerto. Tell me your thoughts on this work. Yeah. And, see and, where they go. and see where they go with yeah. it and see where they go with it. I mean, um, so, you know, I also, I feel like take a little bit of a, uh, try to take a little bit of a, uh, turn sometimes in a, in a different direction. I remember once um, I was interviewing Justin Brown and, you know, he, he also played like the, he was conducting and performing a Mozart piano concerto. I'm like, okay, like as conductor, like, would you hire you as a soloist? <laughs> you know, I mean, that's just I bet he loved that kind way. of the way my mind works yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, on, on, that, on that stuff. That's so um, interesting. Uh, For those that don't know, Justin is our former music true. director here in, in Alabama yeah. before Carlos. So. Yeah. Um, you know, I, 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 I think just more broadly, just, uh, you know, there's a lot of things I wish, I wish, um, you know, sometimes musicians better understood about, uh, radio and about classical music on, on the radio. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, on the, from a radio perspective, I mean, we make choices, right? We have to make choices. We are not an archive. We are not a live. We are. We have a music library, but we are not a library. Sure. Right. So, if you think of it on a continuum, like all the way on the left is someone maybe who knows nothing about classical music. If you think about it all the way on the right, someone who is like deep professorial knowledge sure. of classical music. Which audience are we trying? Where are we trying to be on that scale? And a lot of times, it's maybe like kind of in the middle, right? Maybe this person had music lessons you know, yeah, growing yeah. up in school. So you're trying to assume some musical familiarity, but just that, that influences what you play on the radio and how you present it, right? And, um, you know, to your point earlier, you know, not everybody listens to the radio the way 
the way you do. And, you know, for musicians, I want to say, especially like you, right? <laughs> like we haven't, you know, we haven't studied this yeah. for years and years. I mean, you can have a relationship with a piece for your entire life. Um, so, um, you know, uh, the music is, is, is programmed a certain way based on, on who you want to communicate to sure. um you know as a former trumpet player yeah i'd love to hear trumpet concertos all day long right <laughs> but i can't i don't think anybody else wants that though <laughs> right right so so there is a strategy about why we do things and you know we are the radio professionals and and, and so I, I i sometimes um uh you know i think people eventually get that but that's not that's just not a perspective you know that's that's as much yeah. of an education thing that we have to do on our uh, on uh, on our part you know we're not the concert hall either. I mean, that's a big one. We're the radio. Like, there's a difference between the concert hall and the radio. We're not trying to imitate the concert hall. We can't imitate the concert hall. Right? right? They're consumed. They're consumed totally different. So, what does that mean? Well, there's going to be compression, right? Right. And 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 what that is is just like a. I don't know if you want to. It's just like a crunching a little bit yeah. of the sound. It's like fixes the most frustrating part of listening to a CD. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So it's, you always have to turn it up or turn it down. Right. Or, yeah. So so it's like when you listen when you scan the radio and you hear everyone every station is at a certain level and then you'd hear a classical piece of classical music would be on a much lower level you have to turn the radio up well compression kind of yeah. fixes that well people who are musically white are like oh my gosh like that's right. like the the sacred how could you even we're not the concert hall right that's how and we're trying to get people interested in classical music and what's the point if someone has to turn up their radio to 50 sure sure <laughs> and blow out their speakers when the loud part comes no up. Yeah. i mean what you just so, said is such an interesting perspective that like you're also like you said we're on the same side you're yeah. just coming at it from a different we're coming angle at it from a different and, angle yeah trying yeah. to get people interested and, yeah. and have exposure so that when they come to the concert hall maybe they've already heard this piece yeah before. and 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 look the use of media has changed i mean i mean it used to be right well people used to just sit around the radio right oh, come right. here like like there's all this stuff whether it was the leonard bernstein young people's concerts or or radio drama uh people don't consume it that way anymore so you know um um people have people have 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 lots of options and so we we just have to be aware of how our, our uh, from a radio side of how our audience is using it and look you know radio is a business right even 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 public radio right and 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 people's preferences Come and go. Like yeah. we've, we've got to take that into consideration. Uh, whether I'm interviewing someone or whether we're broadcasting classical music or things like that. Do you have an example of a program that you just really loved but sort of fell out of favor with the audience where it was no longer the program that had to be there and it was like really hard for you to, to cut it because you really believed in it and liked it? Or has that ever that kind of thing ever happened? Yeah. Yeah, it has. Um, um, so, so this is a so this is a little bit long a longer this may be a little bit of a longer answer but trust me I'm yeah uh, let's do it I'm, I'm getting to it um, so public radio and radio in general works best when you're like one thing all the time hot ninety four right you know what you know what you're getting or classical ninety point one right that yeah. your your name says it all you know or 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 you know news talk such and such blah 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 now public radio is you know a lot of uh, um, 
in Birmingham, we have one station, the station I work for, and, and it had a rich history of classical music, but we also do NPR news. So it's like NPR news, classical music. And it's hard, even in public radio, uh, to be all things to all people. Basically, news people want more news, music people want more music, right? right? I mean, it's, cause it's like without saying, like news people are like, really? Why? Like, isn't this what CDs and Spotify and streaming services are for? Like, if you want classical music, it's there. Music people are like, really? Why? Yeah. It's like, this is what CNN, we hear news all day. Right, Why true. can't we have a respite from the news? Or better yet, can we just have an hour of class, just one hour, midday? Like, what's, you know, people don't listen that 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 way. So so all this is to say that's the foundational. So there's always this 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 tension, and there's there's been some you know some classical. Um, you know, we did a program. We had a program called Sunday Baroque um, that we uh, it was a, it was a national program. So it was a program we purchased. But I mean, I knew the host. I was familiar with her. I loved her style. Thought she was great. She's a great host. Super engaging. Really, just speaks well about uh, of the music and speaks at a terrific level just right in that middle of that continuum right uh, like you just it's very very listenable uh, really uh, engaging and you know over time we just saw that we, we just saw that 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 program um, kind of like lose audience and um, you know it was a hard decision to make I knew this person personally right yeah, yeah. and so I had to say hey you know it's not it had nothing to do with the quality of the programming you know, again, that's as a program director. I've got to, I've got to sort of remove myself from the, from, from that. So, that's so. So, what happened was, you know, we were, we were sort of losing audience at a time when we should be have, gaining some audience on a Sunday morning when people want sort of a new, more, more news and information. So that's this, that's this, this, this double-edged sword of classical music versus NPR news, and one isn't inherently better than the other. Yeah, they're just these two different things. And it's like, who wants it, and when do they? Want it. Yeah, 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 and and so for some people, the time when they want classical music is the time we're playing news, and vice versa. Yeah, right, yeah. and that and that's okay. And like you know, separate from even classical music, you know, car talk was a huge hit on public radio for 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 like more than thirty years. Well, you know, when when one of the hosts you know dies and they they're doing reruns as much as i personally love the program i mean i used to just not go anywhere on saturday morning until <laughs> i heard car talk but you know it's it's not about me i have to do what's in the best interest of the sure. station no it so, makes sense yeah so i had to you know can't be the station of 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 hosts who are no longer alive sure sure yeah no, I think it's a great perspective. And I think, again, we don't have to get into it because we already have, but I think it's a very similar conversation to just program for a symphony orchestra. Yeah. Same kind of thing. You know, you can't make everybody happy. And, and so how do you make these choices and how do you know when to switch things up? And, you know, you're always going to have your staples. But like, which staples do you play? And yeah. Yeah, that's a you know that's a that's that's a hard one. I I I think you still have to bring you know you still have to you have to continuously bring sort of the passion to it. I mean that's that's one of the that's one of the things I've always wanted to know because from musicians like you know you've played Beethoven symphonies hundreds of times. Yeah. Does it still get you out of bed in the morning? Like metaphorically speaking, right? Is it still the thing? Like is there still nothing like that? Um, even though you've played it, versus say playing maybe something different that you haven't. That you haven't played, but uh, you don't get to make those choices. You have to perform yeah. them. Someone else makes those choices. Well, it's interesting, you know. Like, 
I would say it's a hundred percent a perspective, you know. I think if you lean into the idea that this is like the fiftieth time you've played it and that's your perspective, yeah, I don't think there's any way it's getting you out of bed right. in the morning. But I think somehow if you can sort of wrap your head around like, you know, even though you've played it fifty times, like it's the fiftieth first time you've played it, you know. I, I think it's sort of like a workaround in how you try to perceive it so that it can still somewhat be fresh. And then you you know, it's I find one of the most fascinating aspects of being an orchestral musician is like I don't listen to that much orchestral music, right? Because cool. it's like my job. It's thing that I do. And so we we can become out of touch, right? With like like you're saying, the passion, the thing we do. And it sort of turns into like I just show up and I do my job. And the reality of I, I play a different concert almost every weekend mm. is like it's weird, you know? Yeah. And so yeah, it's like hard to Muster up. So then you're, it's like literally just that perspective. You like, what I'm learning right now, like kind of right now, is I actually kind of have to make that choice about what do I want out of this and what do I think is the value? And what do I, this is why we're asking these questions is like, how do I want to carry myself at work? Like, I don't actually think I need to let anybody or any circumstance dictate how I feel mm. about my job. Like, I can walk in there and know like what I want to put into it, what I want to get out of it. And like, it's a very, sort of yeah. personal thing at that point, but I think it is helping with me sort of keeping the passion and enjoying it, not seeing it as it's like I, the same thing over and over and over yeah. again, but it's a joy that I get to do this thing that's so wonderful. I mean, I love that perspective. Like if, it, 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 you know, it's all about the framing and if you frame it that way, yeah. that it's the 50th time, like, oh my gosh, really? Well, then yeah, the performance is going to be, <laughs> you know, one of my questions, I uh, things I've always wanted, you know, to know from musicians, like how is it that you can play all the notes, but the sound just isn't warm and inviting, right? Mm. And, you know, wow, and, what I'll, a question. and I'll bet that's part of it, right? Yeah, it's totally. like, it, it depends on your framing. Um, <laughs> that is such a, like, that's such a good question that's like, that's not harsh, right? It's not a harsh question, but you're like, gosh, that is true. That happens. Like, we play the concert, but it's, there's like, it's, we haven't like played it. We're just doing it. Yeah. It's like almost going through the motions, but like you're saying, it's kind of like you just get into the grind of a season and it's like you're just doing it. Yeah. It's like, it's like, thing, it's, it's not question. like things aren't in tune. It's like you're playing right, in right. tune. It's, it's hard to describe. But it's if you, but when you're in school, like, so when you're in music, as you know, like when you're in school, you're playing a concert like every eight weeks. It's like you're building up to this moment. Mm -hmm. And then this is the only shot you get. So you're like, yeah. let's do this. I'm so pumped to play this great repertoire. Yeah. But like when you play a Friday night show and you know you have a Saturday night show after, you know what I mean? It's a different right. perspective that I think can yeah. slightly lend itself to yeah. that kind of reality. It's interesting. And I, and I feel like it's 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 kind of like, you know, you use that 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 analogy of a like a baseball pitcher like as soon as they hear the hit, they know if it's a home run or not. Yeah, yeah. Right? Yeah. Like do you know right away like okay, like it ain't going well, or sure, sure. or it's like, uh, or like you hit it out of the park. You literally hit it out of the park. Yeah, like there's a I moment mean, in this where you're like, "Wow, we are on it tonight," and you it, 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 like yeah. it kind of builds upon itself. I don't know. I don't know if there's an for me if there's like a, a clear answer. You know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I would say the 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 ingredients that exist for concerts. Like I remember. I, this is kind of be fascinating because I wasn't actually playing. Usually, if I'm really in it, I'm I'm part of the thing. But it was during the second movement of Beethoven three with Justin Brown, my first year here, and I just remember sitting there thinking I could just like, I could just be here forever. You know, I'm resting for such a long time, and I'm oh, I could do this. So something about it was on that night 
but I don't know if I could put my finger on how you would know because it would be really helpful, right, to be able to know what that is because that would help in recreating that. But it almost seems like it's... Uh, yeah, um, it's almost like everyone's sort of like everyone's shared intention like there has to be like a preponderance of all this shared intention, yeah. right? Yeah. Like all the tuning forks humming yeah, at, the yeah. sa- at, at the same time. Uh, and but, unfortunately, we're humans, right? So yeah. like somebody, you know, somebody somewhere, it's likely that they're having not a great day or they're right. exhausted from just like living life. stuck in traffic, whatever. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Right. yeah. Yeah, I mean that's that's yeah. So that's that's kind of and then that's the challenge for me. That's the biggest challenge of playing at a high level is just can I bring my best focus regardless of what's going on, and that's that's very difficult. Yeah, yeah. So um, you know, I was just curious. That, so these are a bunch. Of, I mean, we don't. It's up to you, but I, oh. you know, I've I've got all these questions like things I've always wondered. I mean, we should dig in. But um, uh, well, like okay, guest conductors, right? Mm-hmm. You know, these are these are you know people you don't normally work with. They right. come in. Like they may have a completely different perspective on a piece that you haven't even considered. And, you know, maybe you're just like, really, <laughs> really? You're like grumpy about it. Yeah, yeah. But like, so I, I always wonder, like, has this ever happened where, or, or, or the concert doesn't match the rehearsal? But like at the end of the day, you're like, you know what? Like, I can appreciate that approach. Even if it was, I didn't personally like it, yeah, yeah. I appreciate the approach. And maybe I did learn something. And maybe like there's a little percentage of me that became a better musician for that. Yeah. I mean, what you just described is a very idealistic situation that I think, again, your perspective will either allow you to have that and allow that process to happen, or it will completely block you off from that process. You know, I think we can get into like this sort of mindset that. Like I have spent so much time looking through this piece and studying it, and I've listened to the recordings, and I've played it with conductors that I really respect. And so it's like basically the way that I approach this, I believe to be, quote, correct, right? So I think that's when you wouldn't be open to these types of things is if we if we take a mindset that there's a correct mm-hmm. and an incorrect in music, mm-hmm. right? That would be the opposite of what you're describing, which mm-hmm. is somebody just has a different opinion. Right. And it's our literal job to like have that person's vision come to life. So I, I've certainly had times where, you know, they would have asked me to do something differently and I maybe didn't think about it that way and I'm trying to execute it that way. And then by the, yeah, I, I would say that that's happened a few times, but it's I would say it's few and far between yeah. that it's happened. You know, it's not a regular occurrence. Sure. Yeah. And again, because you try to put, you try to put your, I mean, that's a, it's, it's also for me, uh, I mean, maybe some of my audience will be interested in this too. Like, there's a really tricky balance between like I am giving you my interpretation that I believe in, so that I can justify the fact that you've hired me for this position, that I have opinions and ideas, but also you're my boss. And even if it's not the music director, it's still the guest conductor, and they're the boss for that week. And like, you know, managing those two things, you know, because it can get really easy to become an orchestral musician where you're just like, I have no ideas. I don't care. I'll just do whatever they tell me to Mm. do. But that rarely makes compelling music, in my opinion. I wouldn't think so. Yeah. 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 That's interesting. Like how you how you balance that is hard. You know, and 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 I think for just human beings in general, like it's hard, right? It's not about you. Right. right, it's not always about you. Right, right, right. It's about your perspective and how and how you view things. What is, is, is it a, you know, is it a challenge or is it a is it not is it an opportunity? Can you come out the other side better? Maybe it is a little bit of a grind to go through, right? Yeah, absolutely. But you know, if you're really kind of maybe if you're able to be reflective and and be honest with yourself, like, well, maybe there is some 
some good. You know, you oh, don't have absolutely. to. You don't have to like sing this guy's praises for whoever the guest's going to pray for the rest of your life. Yeah. But you could be like, you know, I went through that, and it was. Yeah, I'm a I'm a better musician. You know, so anyway. absolutely, I, yes, yeah, yeah. Okay, so what about? <laughs> I feel like the tables are turned here. Let's do it. I kind of let's what, have a, what let, about, let's do it fully. You're going to interview me now. What just about so um, what, like. what about when um, conductors don't keep strict time? Well, so that's an interesting distinction because I don't really believe it's the conductor's job to keep time, right? Yeah. I believe, I mean, yes, he dictates the general time. Sure. But I think it's our responsibility to have rhythmic integrity, right? And Absolutely. So, um, and, you know, when you have a group of X amount of people, and, and so I just think it depends, again, on how people see it. Like if, if, the, if a person sees the conductor as the timekeeper or like I follow the conductor, I think things can sort of, essentially slow down right because we want it what it needs to be like a like once we get the tempo from the conductor then we just are ideally would continue this is just my opinion yeah. i also know that some orchestras also have players that like boston for example boston plays like pretty far behind the downbeat so the conductor will give the downbeat and then they come in like a like maybe a, i don't want to say a half second later but it's not boom it's boom right and so, like somehow they know how to do that. That's just their tradition. I don't wow. know. I don't know how they do That's that. That's crazy. Yeah, but so like in other orchestras, I think you have some people who also might interpret the ictus, like where the beat is yeah. and where they play in relation yeah. to that, slightly differently. And maybe if there's not as much of a set tradition of how you do that, I think this is how you can get into times where, you know, if the conductor is slowing down or if um, it's just we're interpreting it slightly differently and we haven't yeah. ever sat down and be like, how do we want to do this? Right. Because like you would never have that conversation in an orchestra. I mean, you know, if you've never ascended up the ranks of it to being a professional musician, most of the time the conductors you work with are just keeping a beat. Totally. And so we're all following the yeah, same. Yeah, I suppose pace. I'm speaking about it from but, my perspective. But like, I've yeah. always found it really interesting when, a, yes, there's certain marks that you want to hit as a conductor. But what I find interesting, and certain conductors, you know, this is a skill, right? That that certain conductors have, like they're able to just literally shape the sound with totally. their fingers. Yeah. You know, I always used to say about a former. Conductor Justin Brown, like he had this pinpoint control, right? He could move his left ring finger, and the violas knew what to do, right? Yeah. I mean, he just had this, uh, but that comes from a lot of things. That comes from he has a vision for the piece. He he knows what it what he wants to say about the piece, and he's really, I mean, that's just me as an audience member and as someone yeah. who has some mild idea of what's going on. But you also know how much I mean. Not for every concert, but especially for masterworks, there's a ton of rehearsal that goes into sure. that too, right? So I think it's a combination of you know yeah. gestures and things yeah. like that, but it's also what yeah. he's communicated and the expectations. And the, you know, there's a conductor. His name is Carlos Kleiber. Mm -hmm. He he is one of the best, and he only conducted, from what I understand, a few pieces in the repertoire. He didn't conduct just the entirety of it, sure. so he was a master of those pieces. And he would get something ridiculous like eight rehearsals, mm. you know. So they knew every single thing. So when you watch him conduct, he's making all of these, and you know exactly what he means. Yeah. But they've also spent a ton of. So there's a balance there too, right? That like to have that much control, it's like you're taking musicians who are incredibly sensitive, right. and then being very clear about that's what you want them to do, yeah. you know. So then when you make those small things, it's like, oh yeah, that's like what we're supposed to do. Yeah, I remember seeing. Um remember what it was but it was some some documentary about the art of conducting and apparently um 
yeah, people have a very small, I don't know what they call it, like the cage or something like this, this, this almost like a gate of how they conduct. It can mm -hmm. be very small. Or, and like, I think it was, was it like Dimitri Metropolis had this huge, like sweeping, <laughs> yeah, just, yeah. like just for the downbeat. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then there's, I think, another YouTube video of like Leonard Bernstein conducting with his face. Totally, yeah. Have you seen that one? Well, he's also conducting Vienna though, right? Yeah. And but so, I mean, you've seen that, absolutely. right? Absolutely. And it's, it's, I mean, he's with his face. Yeah. It's a masterclass in the how, fact that, like, yeah, like it's how you're, like, the commitment and how you're communicating that, yeah. you know, rather than it being like any, I mean, there's certainly a lot of technique in conducting. Yeah. But yeah, sure. when you're working with a group of yeah, that yeah. caliber, yeah. like they're coming with their yeah. ideas about what sure. it's supposed to be, too. And yeah. So it's, yeah, that balance shifts and changes, yeah. like, with, like you're saying, with uh, a uh, high school ensemble. Right. It is like a traffic cop, you know what I mean? But the further up you get, the more nuance yeah. I think conductors can play with because yeah. they have more sensitive musicians. So does it bother you when, when, when you know, a lot of times people feel like classical music has this, has this job and like it's soothing. Like you probably hear that a lot, you know, oh, it's, I study with it or I, I do, I like to have it on and, you know, like, and I've interviewed music, musicians about this. Like, do you feel like that's, classical music's job to be soothing? I, I think it, I mean, I think it can be one job. I don't think it's the singular job. Yeah. You know, I, I think there's music that would make you exciting, music that would make you sad. Like, I can't imagine someone listens to Beethoven's, Beethoven 3, the second movement, and is soothed by that, you know, yeah. that funeral march or Mahler 5, yeah. the opening. I don't think anyone's being soothed by that. Yeah. So they're probably listening to like Pachelbel's canon and saying it's soothing to me, right? I don't know. I think it's, it feels like it's in the ear of the, be, of the beholder, as, as, sure. as, as it were. I mean, sure, yeah, there's some passages where you're like, what are you kidding me? Like soothing, really? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I think... I, I feel like a lot of people who maybe don't have it, like they just feel like classical music is this is this thing that that just this this, this mood setter and you know. Um, and I think there's evidence of that sure. in classical music's history of a lot of music from the Baroque and early classical era. I think that's was supposed to be it was written as like dinner party music. You know, right. what I, mean? I think there is evidence that like it's not supposed to be the main yeah. attraction. I think these major symphonic works came about later in classical music's development. That's a great point. And it became like this this centerpiece of people would go. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think there is some evidence that it yeah. being background music is is something, yeah. you know? I once uh, interviewed uh Leon uh Botstein, who's the um who is a, the president of uh, uh, Bard College, but he also conducts um, symphony orchestras. Yeah. And uh, he had this really interesting quote, and I, 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 so I wanted to get your perspective. He said, music is so important because it has no purpose. Kathleen and I were talking about this. She was sharing this quote that yeah. you shared with her. And, 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 he, and he said, its only purpose is to remind us as human beings about the power of our own imagination. Yeah, I totally agree with this. This is kind of the thing. So when I, I said in that interview with her, I was I started thinking about, um, I started thinking about like what problem do we solve? Well, we don't really like we're not like a we're not so, solving like a, a a base level need. We're not feeding people. We're not, you know, clothing people and stuff like that. So like like it's so it becomes harder to argue for like its quote necessity in our culture. But that doesn't mean it doesn't have any value. And I think. Sure. Actually, I think this quote is so beautiful because it's just like owning the fact that that's true. Right. 
and then it has no purpose. Like if we did away with classical music or music, like people's lives would still be able to go on. But what would we be missing, you know, in in the process? And that's what he's saying about the imagination. I totally agree. Like it's things don't always have to have a purpose. There's this beautiful quote. I don't know. I've been binging Norm Macdonald content <laughs> recently, you know, and because yeah. uh, he passed away. And there's this interview with him on The View mm-hmm. from like the 90s. And they're try- they questioning him. And Norm's just wasting everybody's time like what he normally did. And at a certain per- point, like one of the uh, interviewers was just like, what is the, like, what's the purpose of this? Like, what are you trying to say? And Norm just goes, not everything has to have a purpose. Yeah. And I think that kind of speaks to this quote a little bit. Well, so two things. Like when I first heard that, like I'm like, I was just wrestling. I mean, I, I, it's, it's pretty profound. And I, and I've been wrestling with that for, for, cause, but on the one hand, so if you, if you really break it down, like, like hierarchy of needs, right? Okay. Food, shelter, you know, right. Right, but but it, like sometimes when you explain this to people, we're like, what do you mean? Like, how 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 can that be? Well, you have to, you know, we almost take it for granted these days that we have food, shelter, yeah. well, especially, yeah, <laughs> you know. But I but I I thought that was I thought that was I thought that was really interesting. I totally um, agree with it. And uh, you I know, mean, it might be like a little extreme to say it has no purpose, but yeah. I kind of I think it's more to speak to the point of yeah. what he's trying to say rather than. But that's where the so important part comes, right? It's like, it's so important because like we invented it. Like we don't, you know, it's purely something we invented. We didn't have to invent it, but we did. Right, right. Um, You know, there's another quote I heard of in just in my profession that, that, uh, and this speaks to more like public radio and its its mission, because a lot of times your mission isn't to get the largest audience possible. Right, like if I wanted to play, get the largest audience possible on the radio station, we certainly wouldn't be playing necessarily NPR news or or, or, or or classical music. You know, I could put on Garth Brooks and get ten times as many sure. more listeners. But I, uh, I believe this is a, an Albert Einstein quote. You know, and um, let me see if I can get this. You know, not everything that counts can be counted, and not everything that can be counted counts. Hmm. Which I I've like wow yeah. like I heard that and I was just like I put that on my screensaver to just kind of remind me of what I'm you know of what I'm I'm doing I thought that was a really yeah great way of 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 saying it I mean I think classical music fits in a lot of covers a lot of slots does it solve a, a, a problem um, you know I I think sure well, yes I, I aspects think... of it do but but ultimately if you boil it boil it down. I don't know. Maybe yeah. For I don't some think it, does. it solves any objective problems. Yeah. We'll put yeah. it that way. But I think for the people who dig it, it absolutely solves a problem. You know, it's yeah. like there's something, and this is kind of at the crux of what I've been trying to uh, understand through. You know, just having the conversations now, speaking with you is like, you know, what would you? What do you feel like you'd be missing if you didn't have it? Like that's the problem it mm-hmm. solves, right? I just don't know what that answer is. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if people yeah. would be missing something they didn't know they had. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, it's, but that kind of, yeah. I just think that idea and, and what you're talking about with public radio is so true for us as well. And it's the idea that like we we have to like remove the idea that will be popular so that we can really lean in and sh- and share what we do do. And then we can connect with those people. And I think this there's that book, A Thousand True Followers, like a thousand true fans or something like that. It's this idea that like instead of getting a million followers, we should, like we should be more focused on getting our a thousand true fans mm-hmm. 
who are just will be there mm. and digest everything. I think that's the business that everybody is in, but especially like symphony orchestras, maybe public radio. You just you want your diehard fans who are gonna like they're gonna be there through thick and thin yeah. because they just appreciate what yeah. you do and they respond to it. Absolutely. Versus like you know maybe people will tune in for a Garth Brooks song and then peace out. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So like one one other question here I had like what do you wish the audience understood about symphony musicians, symphonic musicians? That's a good question. Um, it's just taken a lot of work to get to that point. And I think that's, it's a misunderstood aspect when, when we hear about like the episode I did last week, right? These like disputes, these labor disputes that orchestras have gone through. Like often orchestra musicians are saying this is what we're trying to fight for it has it, it has to do with the work that we do now but it has a lot to do with what we've sacrificed to get there you know and it's like like you were saying the isolation the hours in the practice room like we we willingly put ourselves in a room by ourselves so we could figure out how we could play our instruments better and better and better so that we could all come together and play the, this music for the audience you know and there's just a lot you know, musicians don't have normal lives. Like we, we work on the on the weekends, you know, at night, and then we work during the day during the, and you know, it, that's not really here nor there. It's just to say that there's been so much that goes into the concerts that has that's not even just the rehearsals. It's like all of the hours of. I mean, if you talk to musicians, it's not anybody who gets good at anything. It's not always like a straight line, right? So there's been a lot of frustration, a lot of anger, a lot we're, we've like really dedicated ourselves and put ourselves into this. And so a lot of musicians that need to have a I think need to have a conversation with themselves about recognizing that they actually need to separate themselves from what they do or else they'll, they'll just they'll never make it, you know? Mm. Because they're like, "Oh, if I have a bad day, like I'm now in a bad mood. If I bad day in my instrument, mm. I'm now in a bad mood. Like my instrument controls everything That's about me, right? This happens to a lot of musicians because we spend so much time. When you have a bad performance or you have an audition and you don't win it, it's like you feel that the judges or, or the committee is saying like, you're not good enough. Not like we don't resonate with your playing, but by extension, you are bad. You aren't good enough. Mm. And that's like really difficult to deal with. So um that's that the, it's those kinds of things. It's just like all the work that's gone into doing it. And we don't, you know, I wouldn't have enough time with an audience member to explain exactly what that is. So yeah. we're almost asking for a level of like, just believe us when we say that it's like been a long road to get here. And that when we've come up with these, when we've come up with this thing that we feel like is the best way for us to be able to present this music, it's not just because. It's not by accident, you know. That's maybe that make. Hopefully, that makes sense. But uh, that's maybe something. That's a good perspective. I mean, that's something that I think. Um, I don't. I probably haven't fully appreciated that. Well, the, I mean, it's the same. I'm sure it's the same with me for you. You know, like what you've done and how you've gotten to where you've gotten. I don't think any of this is why conversation, in my opinion, is so important. And we sort of miss that in our culture right now. People being willing to just listen to somebody else. It's like none of us appreciate anybody really until you've like sat and talked to somebody. You know what I mean? And so sure. there's no way somebody would get this perspective unless they were actually willing to like listen to me say it. And so um, I, I think 
what I love, what I what I'm appreciative of our audience is that I think they care. Yeah, I think they would listen. You know, I, I think that if this message, if they heard that, they'd be like, oh, I like exactly what yours is. It's like you're like, oh, I hadn't, I hadn't fully appreciated that perspective. Not like, uh, that's ridiculous. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, I don't want to deal with that. So, um. I would imagine it's the same for me and getting to know what you do and how your job is as gives me a different understanding of you. And I just think we need more of that in general, like in life in general, you know? Yeah. Uh, I would say that's true. There's many, many shades of gray. Um, <laughs> you know, and even when you're, I remember reading an article once about, um, I can't, I can't even remember the orchestra, but it was something where there were, there were, uh, you know, there was a conflict between, the musicians and management and uh you know the, the article went into some you know fair amount of depth to uh to explain like you know here's what the core players make and here's what you know other players make and etc cetera, etc cetera. and i remember uh even someone like in the in the comments was like well, let me see if i get this straight they make like I'm just throwing out a number here. $80,000 and they work six months out of the year. I wish I had that job. Right. And it's just like, well, wait a minute here. That's why that perspective that I wish people understood. Yeah. You know? It's not, it's not that easy. Like, you know, just, I mean, and what I'm learning is it's not that easy anywhere. Sure. Right. Like, it seems like it's a cush job and either you go, okay, well, then go win one. Go yeah, do it. Right. Like if you want that job, go do it. Right. Realize that it's not like that. You don't just walk into it, but you don't do that anywhere. Like I'm doing this stuff on social right. media and this podcast. And I thought just starting a podcast and I was uh, in an orchestra, everybody would care. And it's like, oh no, I actually have to pay my dues too. I have to like continually put stuff out there that people will actually yeah. want to listen to and care about. And I'm actually going to have to earn my way in this too. Yeah. And one of the most difficult aspects about this is I was at a high enough level of my musicianship that I kind of forgot what it was like to be a beginner at something. Mm. So that was like a whole new, like, oh my gosh, like I forgot that when I was in fifth grade playing the instrument, it was a disaster, you know? Yeah. And that you just like, we, we're so far removed as musicians from that when we get to this stage in our playing. I think that affects our ability to like be willing to try new things and see, let it fail is because we've been so far away from that kind of mindset that we used to be in when we were failing and frustrated and throwing mutes across the room in our development. That's interesting because I, I think from an outsider's perspective, I feel like there's... Um and my perspective is really, I mean, I've been in Birmingham for like 23 years, so sure. I've been here a while, but I always feel like there's um, this uh, little bit of this imbalance between, um, you know, the people who have to like market the symphony versus the musicians and people who not, you know, not, not like they don't always speak from the, you know, what's the phrase? They don't sing from the same hymnal, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, they, they don't always kind of get what each other is is Absolutely. is is totally is totally about that way, um, and that's again not to keep know. pointing back. That's why I'm asking these questions yeah. because I think musicians need to be prepared to make a defense, an accurate defense of what we do. Yeah, like not just like I play these concerts. Yeah, that's not what we do. That's that's part of what we do. But the totality, being able to sure. sorry, to, but I just think understanding the totality of what we do makes the strongest.
case, the strongest story. We need to tell a great story to people about what we do. People buy stories, right? They don't necessarily buy like a product. They buy the story that's attached to the product or the story that they've told themselves about why they need that product. That's kind of what I'm interested in is what story do we need to tell yeah, people? Yeah, very true. Very true. I mean, that was one of my questions too. I mean, I'm sure there are still, and maybe this was a, a previous generation, there are people who just come on stage and they feel like that's it. That's their job. Yeah. And that's. And and I'm sure that. that still exists in orchestras today. Yeah. You know, and, and they can do it, but that's not the whole what story. You're talking about with your job. Yeah. Things, are, things have changed. You're not just radio. It's right. So many more right. different We're not things. sitting around the radio waiting for a program to come <laughs> right. on. Yeah. And wishing that that was still the case is not doing anybody any good. Right. Tradition is not a reason to keep doing something. <laughs> right. And uh, saying tradition are, is great. You should acknowledge tradition, yeah. but things change. And like, I, I think, I don't know this to be a fact, but I just, I hope orchestral musicians, like, like what you said about a community valuing it is sort of says a lot about the community. I think we can lean really hard into that and then think, well, we want, we, our community should value this because like we value it, you know, and almost like this, we just want this to happen because we care about it and people should. And if they don't, it's their problem. Like it's their, they're the ones that are the problem, right? That actually might be true, but that doesn't solve any of your problems. You know, right. like we have to figure out a way to engage them. And at minimum, again, if we do what we do, if what we do is supposed to like touch people at their core and all that kind of stuff, why isn't everybody interested in, in coming to a concert? Like maybe it's because they don't know that's what we do. Or it's so your job's a little harder than you thought. Exactly. You know, like welcome to the task. Everyone's job's a little harder exactly. than they thought. <laughs> right. That's what I was kind of asking you about like the team aspect of what it is. It's like, you know, for you, like it's on your shoulders to do a lot of that kind of stuff. And like you be wishing it was different is not going to change it. That's just the job that you have in the place that you have. Yeah. 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 My uncle is, um, he is uh, on the board of the New Jersey Youth Orchestra, I think, Youth Symphony. Uh, I'm, 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 Sorry, Bob, if I'm missing the title, but um, <laughs> uh, but one of the things they do is they do music in uh, Patterson, Patterson, New Jersey, city schools, like you know, changing lives. I mean, yeah. in, in, in a in a school district that probably doesn't have nearly as, enough resources, sure. they purposely have positioned their organization on a number of fronts. Not number one, there's like you know the core musicianship of the symphony orchestra, but there's also people who are going out into schools and 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 working with kids and changing lives that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's one of the things I was really proud of for our orchestra, the concert that you came to, is that's not an area of town that we uh, very we don't go to yeah. very often. And we're gonna serve this part of our community because like we like, you know, we want to you know, bring music to bring music to people. people totally. Yeah, yeah. And so like the fact that we had that opportunity to do that recently yeah. was so cool. And then, you know, talking to people, it's just like, oh, people like classical music, you know, right. maybe not everybody in the entire world, but be able to bring it, have people hear it, be able to talk about what it is, what's special. Yeah. I, I feel like there's some untapped potential similar to what you were talking about with sharing some of the peace and things, just untapped potential. And bringing music to people wherever, meeting them where they are. Maybe that's bringing music to people on Facebook or YouTube or right, Twitter right. or wherever. It's a whole untapped thing too. I mean, wherever. Does it really matter? I mean, if, you know, our, <laughs> right, our job is to get people like really excited about classical music. Are we going to really care about the entry point that much that we're like, oh, right? no, 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 no. We can't be on Facebook with our classical music. That's a disservice. To, you know, really? How do well, you, and interestingly, again, that's like a format where you could say, well, 
if we came here, how would we just make sure that we're not diluting what we do too much, right? Because if you would like say, well, I'm going to go to the Alabama Symphony Orchestra, but it's going to be a trumpet solo. Well, is that the Alabama Symphony Orchestra anymore, right? So how do you how do you bring what you do to these formats, but still have it be the thing that you represent, so that your people are buying what you're selling and they're they're you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I think that's a really important part that and it takes some creativity. Yeah, but it's possible. sure. And I think that's where like marketing and the musicians can really come together. Agreed. Agreed. Really come together. And I I mean I said this in my episode last week. And it's just a reality of what we do. But you know, musicians care very deeply about what we do. And I I'm not saying that I'm not saying that all managements don't, but there are some that have demonstrated that they're not on the same page. And so because we have departments that do fundraising and marketing and things like that, and we aren't directly involved with it, we have basically abdicated to a group of people that may do a really great job or they may be they may not do a really great job and they may be you know like as we've seen with these orchestras that I pointed out in San Antonio right now it may become like a negative outcome you know what i mean and like that's a that's an unfortunate reality about how symphony orchestras are set up that we don't often get the chance to vouch for ourselves which is why i don't think musicians have thought about these questions and how to effectively communicate what we do, what's the value of what we do, why does it matter right. enough? Because other people are the ones that do that. We just play the music. Right. So. And I think what's accelerating this is like, right, the explosion of all these options and choices and totally. stuff like that. Netflix? Like, uh, we just got HBO Max. Unbelievable. Like the amount of quality entertainment. And it's like, uh, why would I ever leave, you know? <laughs> so like that, like you say, not only, it's like, why would I leave? And instead, why would I leave? Why would I like get dressed up and get in my car and go down there and park and then get my ticket and go sit there for a little while and have people play at me and come home and I could just watch right. something on Netflix or something on HBO Max. Like That's what you're talking about. That's what we're up against. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big one for me. Um, you know, um, I mean, it gets into a lot of things, you know, if you, when you add in dinner and parking, yeah. like, like you're, you, you tend to think, well, well, gosh, for like for the price of a, symphony ticket maybe i should just go out to dinner with my partner right, right. and have a great dinner totally and like that would do it totally you know so i i, I think uh you know just having a greater awareness i mean there's a there's a lot of moving parts and those parts that are only moving they're also overlapping so it's like continue they're doing both <laughs> yeah yeah and it's a lot you know then you think about like a restaurant right like why why do you choose to go to any given restaurant like it's it's probably because the food is good, but it's also probably because the experience you had from the serving staff and like you know the way it was presented, all this stuff probably made an impression on you. So you're like going for the experience of eating that food, right? Versus yeah. just like because you could just make good food at home, right? Uh, Maybe not the not exact everyone. same. Yeah. Well, yeah, Kathleen's a really good cook, so like <laughs> we're pretty spoiled here. But that's the same thing with the symphony orchestra. Then asking like, well. Yeah. What's the to what's the and this is things you've been already saying, but what's like the totality of the experience for the person? Not just like what how much are we willing to put forward as an organization, but thinking what could we be doing to, you know, one percent the experience of the person until they're just like, I have to go back. Like this is now a valid option in in addition to dinner or HBO yeah. Max. <laughs> you know what I mean? Something like that maybe. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I don't I'm not, I know I'm speaking in such a way it sounds like I know what I'm talking about. I've thought about this but I I'm not in the marketing department. I don't know what those challenges are like. I know what it's like for me to market my stuff so I have a little bit of an opinion but I'm not trying to pretend that it's this easy. 
you know, to just be like, oh, fix this, do that. I'm not trying to pretend that by yeah. any means, but I think it's, you know, our art form, classical music specifically, I think is worth fighting for. And that's kind of really where I'm at. I'm just trying to start those conversations. And I'm so grateful to you that you're willing to just sit here. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's an hour and 50 minutes. It's awesome. But it just flew by for me, you know? And um, I'm thankful for your perspectives oh, well, thanks, and yeah. you sharing. And you um, it's, for me, it's as good a place as any to, we can always come back and just pick it back up again. If you're, yeah. if you're interested in that, I'd love to have you again. We'll have to do that sometime. Yeah, for sure. Um, what I try to do, uh, if there's ways for my listeners to potentially contact you and let them know that they enjoyed the episode or if they could find out about more about WBHM or what mm -hmm. you do, anything like that, are there ways that people can contact you that are, are good? Maybe not your home sure. phone number. <laughs> uh, the station's website is wbhm.org, wbhm.org, and my email address is just michael at wbhm.org. Org. So if they wanted to... Were you the first out. Michael or the only Michael? Actually, we had a... When I started, we had a Mike and a Michael at WBHM. That's good. So, <laughs> nice. so, so just to be clear, Michael at WBHM.org. Yes, we're, we're small enough that we have like a first name. That's like the email code. That's at, cool. The, the, at, at the top. But yeah. Um, yeah. Thanks. Be glad to... Be glad to... Uh, Look forward to hearing from someone if they if they like it. That'd be that'd be awesome. Yeah, no, I'm. I mean, like I said, it's it's interesting to get your perspectives because you know my audience hears from you know other professional musicians and they hear from me. <laughs> so to get you know someone who cares very deeply about it, but like obviously your perspectives on what you do are so applicable to us and what we deal with, and so it's just so it's so cool to sort of get great perspective and advice. <laughs> from someone outside of the classical music field that is just such great stuff to chew on. So I really appreciate it. If anybody's interested, go ahead and reach out to him. Let him know that you loved the episode. If you need to get in touch with me, you can do that on that'snotspit.com or Facebook and Instagram at That's Not Spit. Please consider leaving a rating and a review on iTunes. And don't forget to share this episode on social media. Michael, thank you one more time for being on my show. It's it was great a pleasure. to be here. Yeah, really enjoyed it. Thank you. Uh, I want to thank Brandon Yoakum for his work on mastering this episode of the podcast. And most of all, I would like to thank you for listening. Stay strong, be kind to yourself, never stop growing, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>